0: Hello, good morning. Welcome to The View. I'm Meredith Fiera. No, just kidding. Why saying good morning? <laughs> it's not the morning. It was a joke. G- just go with it. Welcome back to Coffee with a Shot of Cynicism, the Gilmore Girls podcast. I'm Jeffrey. I'm Eleni. And this week we're going to be discussing uh, episode 12 of season 4 called A Family Matter. Um, but before, we're bringing back our lovely intro topic Format. We decided to just uh, go with the episodes for a few weeks there. But um, I have something I wanted to uh, bring up for some pop culture commentary. Um, so a few weeks ago, I finished reading um, Demi Moore's memoir called Inside Out, which first came out in September 2019, I think it was. Um, and it been on my TBR since, since it came out, but you know, just didn't get to it and then I, I think I actually took it out from the library last summer when everything first reopened and I just didn't get to it and like was not in the brain like not in the right headspace to, to be reading a memoir um, and it's actually only in the last few months I guess that I've been reading memoirs and stuff like that again I was just not really into anything in 2020 as you, you know as you were. Um, <laughs> so anyway, after I finished reading that, and I realized that um, other than, like, a few movies here and there, I hadn't really seen a lot of Demi Moore movies um, from, like, the 80s and 90s, so I decided to, like, go back into the archive and watch a lot of them for the first time. So I watched um, St. Elmo's Fire for the first time, which my mom was a huge fan of in the 80s, but, I, when, but when I asked her if she wanted to watch with me, she's like, no, it probably doesn't hold up the way I want it to, <laughs> so.
1: Like, a lot um, of movies the 80s.
0: Yeah, and like honestly, this 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 is what made me think of this and why I wanted to bring it up today was because I feel like Demi Moore is kind of part of a generation of actors from the 80s and 90s where it's like, oh, that probably is, that's probably dated, that's probably didn't age well, or like let's not look under that rock kind of thing. Uh-huh. And I that's what I was thinking about. Cause I'm like, I kind of disagree, and my whole my whole thesis statement here. Um, this might incite outrage in you, but I'm thinking, like, she was kind of the Kristen Stewart of her generation. No, I
1: don't think so at
0: all. <laughs> like, not the Kristen Stewart in terms of, like, you're obsessed with her because she's hot, but, like,
1: no. Kristen
0: Stewart of, like, act, like, in terms of being an act, in terms of, like, actress.
1: Okay, so the reason I say that is because, the reason I say no is because I, from what I remember, because I've seen... I, I've also seen Saint Elmo's Fire. I've seen a lot of um, the old, I guess, old. I mean, they're not old, but you know, older, older, <laughs> older. Um, Demi Moore films. I don't think she's that good of an actress.
0: Yeah. So like, I'm not saying she's, you know, an uh, like a four-time Oscar winner kind of actress or anything. Um, but like, then that, like, that's your opinion. That's fine. Um, but I was just like, I kind of been under the same impression like, oh, she's not that strong of an actress like she did a couple of like she was popular, like, had her moment in the sun in the 90s and then just kind of faded out like that was my, I guess, surface level impression. And mm-hmm. like I'd seen I'd seen Ghost when I was younger. I, I watched it a few times just because I loved Whoopi Goldberg in it more than anything else.
1: Yeah. Um,
0: I didn't love her in that. And I don't and I don't like Patrick Swayze as an actor. Sorry if that offends anybody. I've never thought he was a good actor in anything that I've seen him in. I agree. Um, especially, and I, my mom curses my name every time I say it, but I cannot stand dirty dancing. Like, I, it takes a lot for me to hate a movie. I hate dirty dancing. Like, I do not like that movie. I don't like okay. dirty dancing
1: either. It's I consider like, the second dirty dancing.
0: <laughs> it's just, like, so. Like, and I'm, I'm a fan of cheesy movies, but it's just, like, cheesy to an extent that I can't deal with and and bad acting bad direction sorry not sorry anyway um but as I was saying I went into the archive of other Demi Moore movies that I hadn't seen specifically I first watched um after St. Elmo's Elmo's Fire I watched G.I. Jane Mm -hmm. because in the book she talked a lot about how it was like her her proudest like professional achievement and like it didn't really get received the way she had hoped even though she knew it was like a like a daring risque role to take um, the subject matter would... Like, she kind of knew the subject matter wasn't going to be received the way she had intended it to, but she was at least hoping that, like, all of the hard work she put into the movie would have been a bit more rewarding, and it wasn't. And so she was talking about an interview she did with someone for a podcast, and she was, like, the the host said, you know, the, the, the press was so hard on you back then when that came out, and she's like, I'm so glad that somebody else noticed that was going on. And just, like, made me think of... How Okay, just because she took roles like G.I. Jane and also specifically Strip Tease, which I watched right. last week and really enjoyed, by the way, mm-hmm. um, just got me thinking like just the, you know, the, the 90s, I guess now in retrospect, the, like the nostalgic rebrand of the 90s is um like, oh, everything was so much easier then or things were feminism was on the rise, whatever the whatever the case is, like we've talked about that in in terms of the context of the book that I recommended called 90s Bitch um, that I sent for you for your birthday last year yes. um, just like I think so I, I think of the 90s in that context in terms of like actually the 90s were not a great time for feminism in terms of a lot of different things and so like um, all of that to say in context of G.I. Jane and striptease both both uh, Demi Moore movies and roles and storylines that were a little i'm gonna say ahead of their time and i understand why they like why the plots would have received mixed reviews but i just don't get why they attacked her acting and her like her dedication not her dedication but her just i don't know why they attacked her so much you know what i mean
1: so i think um
0: that's not new
1: <laughs> that's not <laughs> um i mean in terms of In terms of attacking women for taking roles that we've seen, that that we, the audience, deems ridiculous, Mm -hmm. um, I think women get a lot more shit for it than men do. Oh, for sure. Like, how many shitty films? I'm going to take my favorite example, which is Adam Sandler. Yeah. Who the fuck keeps giving Adam Sandler money to make these goddamn films?
0: It's, I mean, it's been a few years, honestly, so I think I think the industry no, is like...
1: But I mean, it's an easy example to pull because for, for a while, for like a decade, he would release a film a year that was just bullshit. Yeah. And everyone was just like, yeah, that's Adam Sandler. But nobody, like, shits on him. No. Whereas an actress will take a role that maybe, okay, maybe isn't the best role, but, you know, it's a way to pay the bills if they're lesser known, for example. Or, you know, it's something that they think is, I don't know, for whatever reason that they want to take the role. It's not for us to judge either, right? Mm-hmm. And then their name gets dragged through the mud in the press because it's beneath them. Yeah. You know, it's not as intelligent a film as, I don't know, people think that they should have been. I don't know. Everyone has a fucking opinion when a woman does anything, literally. Mm-hmm. Um, So it doesn't surprise me that, I, okay, so I kind of see the similarities that you're saying between Demi Moore and Kristen Stewart in the sense that, like, so they both got their start in a, like, teen film. Yeah. And weren't really taken seriously because then took on roles that were um, deemed beneath them, I guess. Yeah.
0: Or like, not like beneath them, but also just like more mature and like maybe subversive and just a little out there. And I like, they were like. More
1: nuanced, maybe.
0: Yeah, exactly. And it's even funny because Kristen Stewart was a child actress before she was in Twilight, you know, but it's funny how Twilight was just the defining mark for her entire career and it's like
1: uh and listen don't get me wrong i think she owes a lot to twilight she'll even say it mm-hmm. um i think so robert pattinson says it all the time that you know without twilight he wouldn't be where he is today mm-hmm. um but people don't understand like it's not just like oh hey i want to be an actor and all of a sudden you're going to get the best roles right Hmm. have to take what comes at you sometimes and make yeah. the best of it so um I think my opinion is just a little bit weirder because I I never really thought Demi Moore was a Demi Moore excuse me was a good actress and also I think our generation kind of knows her from marrying Ashton Kutcher
0: yeah, that's a whole other aspect of the memoir that yeah just, if honestly if you're a, even a casual fan of Demi Moore, I really recommend the book it's not perfect like I find she could have gone a little deeper in in parts but like the whole all the chapters on Ashton Kutcher are just like worth the read honestly like worth the read (laughs) just he was trash just let's just leave it at that um but just in specific specifically referring to both striptease and gi jane i i think that if they had been released today i think both those movies would have been received a lot differently maybe i'm not going to say it wouldn't still incite outrage from you know uh men's rights activists that's (laughs) just like, I'm thinking back to when the uh, like all-female Ghostbusters remake came out and yeah. like social media was plagued by men just okay,
1: deriding I it. Can I say um, something potentially controversial? Yes. It was not a good film.
0: The, 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 the female Ghostbusters?
1: Yeah.
0: <laughs> I mean, I liked it. it was funny. I mean, it's
1: not a good film. I mean, by the way, I'm not saying that because I think it was unnecessary. I think that it was really important to do. Mm-hmm. I think for a while, like all these movies that we're remaking today from the 80s and yeah. to some extent the 90s, I think it's important to have uh, female representation or diversity in these films because yeah. those what were deemed important roles used to go to straight white men, right? Yeah. Uh, so I think it's important to have representation. Um, these days. But I'm not saying it because I'm like, oh, an unnecessary remake. No, I think I was really excited when the movie came out because, you know, I loved all the actresses in it. But for me, I was just like, okay. <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah, it's like really silly, stupid comedy, obviously.
1: Yeah, anyways.
0: Um, yeah, but all of that to say, I just, if you haven't seen both Striptease and G.I. Jane ever, I would recommend them. Just, I found... I guess for me, from someone who, like, obviously those both came out either, actually one of them came out the year I was born, the other one was the year before I was born. So, like, I don't know. I find I found in terms of 90s movies, things like, like, movies like those kind of just get, get left behind because they didn't do well at the time. And, like, for example, Demi Moore was nominated for, like, what is it, the Golden Raspberry Award for Worst Actress for both those movies. And, like, personally, I believe she was really good in G.I. Jane and did not, that was not appreciated at all. You know, um,
1: sometimes those like fucking shitty awards
0: i don't even like but i'm sorry like there's sometimes where i can like, see like a movie did really badly and i've seen it and it was stupid and then I, you know, you scroll down to the bottom of the wikipedia page and it says oh it was nominated for like four golden raspberry awards i'm like yeah okay cool but nothing about uh gi jane at least strikes me as worthy of a golden raspberry award like i'm sorry no
1: so those Razzie Awards are, in my opinion, an actor taking the heat for shitty writing, shitty directing, shitty producing.
0: Yeah, like, where where are the behind-the-scenes people taking the taking the yeah. hit for that?
1: So, like, if you wrote a screenplay for whatever movie that had, that's gotten a Razzie, like, an actor takes it for reasons X, Y, Z. Maybe they're not as known as they want it to be, they're taking a movie that... You know, a big budget production is behind, and then they get a Razzie when really it's your fucking dumbass screenplay that's shitty. Yep. So I have other thoughts on that, but you
0: know, whatever. <laughs> um, yeah, and I just think I'll and I'll say one, I just want to say one last thing about striptease in, in particular, um, because at the time, Demi Moore was the highest paid actress in history, receiving an unprecedented twelve point five million to star in that movie, and I just think. A, I understand, again, why it was, it didn't do well, shall we say, because it was about a stripper, a, a, like a mother who resorts to stripping to, um, like, get, get custody of her child back. And ultimately, I understand why that wouldn't do well in 1996, unfortunately. But, can
1: I, can I um, just say,
0: mm-hmm.
1: that's so dumb, because that's an actual story
0: it is an actual story and i read and i was like reading the reviews and like this movie has an 11 percent on rotten tomatoes i'm like that's so unfair because it's actually a really good movie maybe you wouldn't enjoy it as much because you don't like it anymore as an actress but like really? i'm sorry <laughs> i've never seen a movie or a story or any kind of media that treats that treats strippers like people and that movie just like i'm sorry it was about a mother who fell on like a mother who was ripped off by all the men in her life yeah like her 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 child's father was a complete like screw up, and he like he basically was worse off than her. But she just like he would just pick on her because oh, at least I'm not taking my clothes off. Like I'm sorry. Um,
1: and also, I find it hilarious that men will use stripping in like the storylines of movies mm-hmm. to mean women to make it seem like a woman is like not worthy of love or like whatever it is like this is a trash woman we're gonna use that stripper trope yeah you guys have no problems going to strip clubs and watching these women take their clothes off uh-huh you know what i mean yeah we're like using them in their movies to make you rich go fuck yourselves mm-hmm.
0: but anyway like is it, is it a is it word is it a 100 percent perfect movie no few movies are but like i watched that and i was like this is really good and this deserved better and you could just tell based on like having read the memoir how much time and dedication she put into these roles that were you know ahead of their time and like kind of off the beaten path i guess and it's just like no deserve better i'm sorry like just do better
1: (laughs) in conclusion do better hollywood
0: that's all I have to say about that, um, and I recommend both those movies. Even though uh, G.I. Jane is is available to stream on Disney Plus, there's that. But Striptease is very hard to find. I had to pay to rent it on Amazon Prime because I just really wanted to see it, and I can't find the DVD anywhere. So pray for me. Thank you. Uh,
1: did you see Indecent Proposal?
0: I oh I did yes. I thought, so that was one of the ones I also watched, but I didn't okay. really feel like that were was worthy of a mention because that was just not a that was also not a perfect movie, but for other reasons.
1: I mean, it wasn't a perfect movie at all, but I think it's the one that people like more.
0: Yeah, and it's because it's by Adrian Lin, who I like, I've always actually admired him as a filmmaker, but apparently he's super smarmy in real life, which I believe, so.
1: Ugh.
0: (laughs) That's just not a, like, that's not a perfect movie for other reasons, not because the whole premise of... Um, you know, I'll, I'll pay you a million dollars for one night with your wife. I think yeah. that that in itself, in 1993, was enough to get people into the theater. And then there was a lot of feminist backlash at the time. And I think if there, I think if if they had put a little more effort into certain parts of the story, it would have been more of a feminist statement than it was going for. Because Demi Moore said in the memoir, like she thought of it as a like a bit of a third wave feminist statement, but. Oh. Ultimately, you're not gonna get that from Adrian Lynn, so you know.
1: <laughs> All right. Well, anyway,
0: on, upwards and onwards to this week's episode.
1: Family matter. Yes. So can I just say that this week's episode, there's a lot going on before the fucking opening credits even roll.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: We get three storylines before the credits even roll.
0: Yes, and that's what I was gonna say. Like I, I was gonna, I was gonna say, I love this cold open, but there's a lot going on. <laughs>
1: there's so much going on, you don't know what to focus on, and I feel like last week, not last week, last episode, which was two weeks ago. Welcome back, by the way. Uh, <laughs> um, it was a perfect time to kind of take a little hiatus because there's so much to digest in this episode, mm-hmm. and the first three minutes before the cold, before the opening, just sets the tone for the chaos that is this episode.
0: I just thought you were going to say it was, a, it was a perfect time to take, to take a hiatus because so much happened in both of our lives in the last two we have weeks.
1: To, but we don't need to bore people with that. <laughs> <laughs> um, so three things that happened in the first three minutes. I mean, two of them will kind of overlap. up. I don't know. So first we, we find out that Lane has been crashing with Rory at Yale. Mm-hmm. Um, then there's the mystery woman at
0: Luke's. Mystery woman
1: mystery woman who we find out is Liz but in the opening it's like who is this woman mm-hmm. and the third thing that's not really a third thing but whatever um Jason's coming to town to Stars Hollow and Lorelai's kind of hiding it from Luke
0: oh actually I i thought you were gonna say the third thing was Paris and what's his name
1: I'm over her
0: <laughs> I mean that was part of it too because uh, yeah so was
1: definitely part of it for sure but, I mean, in terms of... Ugh, it's not that I'm over her. We're obviously going to talk about it in this episode because it's really a pivotal episode in her relationship. But I'm just, like, over her. Yeah, we're gonna More so that I, I just don't get it. I don't get it.
0: <laughs> okay, we'll put a pin in that and come back to I'll
1: it. Put a pin in that. So, um, I first want to talk about Lane and Lane's situation. Okay. Um, Because I think... I was once again very disappointed.
0: I was going to say, like, Lane's situation was in this episode for a hot minute, even. Yeah,
1: well, that's why I want to talk about it first, because, number one, there's not much to talk about. I was expecting so much more from the fallout. Mm-hmm. Um, and number two, um, there's there's a moment where I think Rory and Lorelai are kind of at odds in the beginning. Yes. And not, like, in a traditional way of, like, oh, my God, they're arguing because they're having a disagreement. It's more of, like, it's more a subtle thing where Rory's kind of taking Lane's side and Lorelai's not maybe taking Mrs. Kim's side, but maybe understands the parental side a little bit more, right? Mm Mm-hmm. In a way that Rory can't begin to fathom because she's not a parent. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. And so... Lane is crashing at Rory's, and Rory says that she's very mad at Mrs. Kim. Um, and you guys all know how I feel about Mrs. Kim because I kind of went off last episode. <laughs> um, but I, mm, well, as much as I, as much as I hate that what Mrs. Kim did,
0: mm-hmm.
1: obvious from the way I went off, I can understand that it couldn't. It wasn't probably. It probably wasn't easy for her. Yeah. To go from you know living with your daughter, your teenage daughter, who you thought was following your rules and whatever, and like living the life that you wanted for her, to now living alone, eating all your meals alone, not speaking to anyone.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: You know, and then as soon as I started thinking that, I'm like, well, fuck you. That's the choice you made.
0: Yeah, it's it's a complicated situation because I. Because <laughs> I see what, like, I see why Lorelai immediately sympathizes with the mother, you know, like, with just, it wasn't, probably wasn't easy for her to have to make an ultimatum, even though we know that ultimatum was bullshit. It's just, like, it's hard to obviously realize, all, in, like, all at once that, the like, the the, the vision, the version of the doc what am I trying to say? the The vision you had for your daughter is dead, I guess you know
1: Yeah I, like, think, it's, I think I think it's a it's a it's a grieving period for Mrs. Kim. Yeah. Is
0: that is that
1: a good way to put it? I don't know. Yeah, um, I think
0: it's I think it's a grieving period for both of them, you know, cuz like as much as um as much as Lane wants to live wants to be free to live her life the way she wants to live it. It's like she's only ever known home, right? So there's probably yeah, some, some grieving. There's probably right now. Yeah, there's like there's some probably some Like some grievance in there in terms of she like poured her heart like poured her heart out to her mother and she was like children do not make the rules bye bye like
1: yeah (laughs) no i mean you have to listen you have to be heartless to 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 watch that scene that we posted Mm -hmm. you know lane spilling her guts to her mother and telling her this is who i am as a human being these are the things that and by the way this is who I am as a human being. It's not like she's fucking murdering people on the side. <laughs> she listens to rock music, and she doesn't want to go to a religious school that wants to interview father whatever his fucking name is. <laughs> probably should not say when I'm talking about a priest. But anyways, you know what I mean? Like, it's not like she's telling you something so awful that you can't get past it. Mm-hmm. You know, it's... It, it, ugh. I just, I, I still have a really hard time sympathizing with Mrs. Kim.
0: But... Yeah, I think it's like I think it's probably easier maybe for us to sympathize from a like a historical perspective because we know later on um, that she does put in more of an effort to come around. And but at, at, even even at, even now at this point, it's 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 still difficult to fully sympathize because, you know, that like she made her bed. You made the choice like.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um, I just say, though, I really love that that little moment between Lorelai and Mrs. Kim. Mhm. Um I, you can tell just in that tiny look that Mrs. Kim was I don't know if it's worried but like yeah, maybe it is worried. Worried about where her daughter is right now even though I kind of kicked her out. I still she's still my child and I want to know she's fine, right? Yeah. And that's the that's the thing that Lorelai kind of grasped onto like no matter what's going on with your kid um you still want to know that they're okay, even though you're mad at each other and even though you're not speaking. I want to know that my child's okay. So she kind of mother to mother gave her that, you know.
0: Which is ironic because I wonder if um, when Lorelai chose to to leave home, do you think she do you think um, she offered the same kind of olive branch to her own mother to let her know, hey, I, I have to leave, but I'm this, this is where I am and I'm safe. Like no. I don't think... <laughs>
1: But I think that's just Lorelai being
0: Lorelai. Yeah, and maybe because she went through that experience, she knows, I mean, I don't know, it's hard to say because she still holds that grudge over her own parents. But maybe she thinks in some in some place in her heart that mothers deserve to know where their children are.
1: Um, my problem with Lorelai is that, among many problems, is that I think, and I've said this before, I think she's incapable of seeing her mother in the same way that she sees other mothers yeah so the sympathy that she shows towards mrs kim in this instance i don't think i think she's so blinded by rage still for her parents that she's incapable of seeing emily gilmore as a mother and not as an authority figure you know what i mean for sure like, growing up, this was Emily Gilmore, my authority figure, never really my mother. So I think it's harder for her to kind of relate and put her mother in that position.
0: Right, yeah. And
1: I think as we grow older, we all have these moments where we're like, wow, shit, my parents are not just my parents, they're human beings, right? Yeah. I've definitely had those moments before where I'm like, my mom is a my mom is a human. <laughs> my mom is her own person. Like, her whole identity is not just being my mother, right? Mm-hmm. I don't really think the opposite is true for Lorelai. Like, I don't think Lorelai ever has a moment where she's like, this person is my mother.
0: Exactly. Yeah, that's a good um, point.
1: I don't think she ever, she like strictly sees her as this human being detached from her herself and never really stops to say like, this is my mother and mothers have feelings and I should know because I am a mother, you know? Mm-hmm really easy for her to go up to mrs kim and be like yo your daughter's fine i don't think growing up um even when she became a mother she would have said maybe my mom wants to know where i am and what i'm doing you know
0: yeah i don't think it would have been it wouldn't have been the same perspective at the time it would have like it would have been she would have been the daughter like she would have been in lane's shoes and it's not like lane is at this point it changed to tell her mom where she is. Like, she did the kicking out. It's hard to sympathize, like we said, you know?
1: Yeah, for sure. But um, I really love that moment between both mothers. Even though I'm mad at Mrs. Kim, you really see the humanity in Mrs. Kim in this this scenario. Yeah. Um, Again, I just want more. (laughs) (laughs) I always want more.
0: It's like they gave us... Usually, we're used to getting crumbs, and then last episode, we got, like... A whole pie, and now we're back to not even not a whole pie, like maybe a, a bread roll, and <laughs> <laughs> now we're back to crumbs. <sighs>
1: um,
0: what should we discuss next? There's so much to get to. Should we talk about Liz? Should we talk about Jamie? Should we talk about? What's
1: that
0: um, Why not? Talk about who? Sorry.
1: <laughs> Jamie.
0: Okay. Um, once again, I'll date Jamie if Paris doesn't want him anymore. Just saying. Right. <laughs> no he's fictional and doesn't look like that anymore
1: what does he look like now
0: the same but like he was he like i've said a thousand times he went on to be on general hospital years later and just he wasn't unattractive on a general hospital but he was more attractive as jamie do you
1: think it's his character on general hospital that ruined him for you
0: probably he was uh, a villain he was definitely a villain i think he died i think he died Right. It would require a Google search, but if anyone else can, rec- any other uh, General Hospital soap watchers in the in the audience, if you remember what happened to Johnny Sicara, I think he died. I think he died. All
1: right. Well, <laughs> um, so we learned that Jamie's in town. Yes. And that Paris. Well, first we learned that Paris was up all night with her professor friend. Mm-hmm. With. What she keep yo, if she says perfect uh, no certain fella one more fucking time.
0: It's kind of I'm not gonna say it's gross because you like later on she does say like I'm happy and Rory's kind of okay with that aspect of it. Um it's just it's just weird how she kind of I don't know. I don't wanna sound like internalized misogyny here, but it's just like
1: <laughs> But I think Okay, so I understand what you're saying, internalized misogyny. But can we admit that it's a little bit weird that a professor wants to date a 19-year-old? A professor in his 60s wants to date a college freshman, 18, 19-year-old. And then, like, from what we learned later on in the the season, it's not the first time. Mm
0: Mm-hmm.
1: You know, I I think it's okay to say that it's fucking weird.
0: Yeah, I was going to say, like, I just think it's weird for either of them to wear it as a badge of honor. Like, ooh, do you wear Jamie's a badge of honor? No. So why would you wear?
1: But I think it's different for Paris because, ugh, mm, how do I express this? I think <laughs> Paris is just genuinely wanting to share this with her friend.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: With Rory. But kind of knows Rory's grossed out or creeped out or whatever, like, you want to label it. Mm-hmm but it's her excitement over, you know, what she thinks is a new blossoming relationship, right? Right. Um, the reason I I have a hard time in this episode is because I just don't understand why you're stringing Jamie along. Yeah. I don't understand why he's in town and you're like, well, those plans were tentative.
0: Pencil, I said pencil it in.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I said pencil. Like you, if you know, my problem is if you know you don't no longer want to be with him, which is very clear to everyone because you're avoiding him on his birthday. <laughs> like, just break up with him.
0: Yeah, I don't know. It's it's weird because I'm not going to say it's because Paris doesn't have a lot of experience with relationships. It doesn't. I think oh, that's irrelevant. I, I think that's, that's irrelevant. True. It's just, it's weird that you would treat him that way. Especially, like, I don't know. I think, it's because, I think it's because, like I said, she wears Asher like a badge of honor in a way that Jamie wasn't. And it's just like, oh, well, I'm uh, a wonderful heiress to a throne now with my new professor boyfriend who's 60 years old. And just like everyone else is beneath me, you know? I
1: oh, I think I have a hard time reconciling Paris season three who was so like amazed that such a great guy would want to date her and like he tells her he loves her and she's like I told him I loved him too and they met each other's like she met his family and spent the holidays with him and she lost her virginity to this guy and like you know what I mean like all of that like I was so happy for Paris in season three that finally finding somebody, you know, mm-hmm. and then like for her to come to college and like, listen, if you grew apart, which is bound to happen if you're going to different colleges and you're not seeing each other as much. And like you're a freshman in college, like Rory says, you know, life is crazy when you're a freshman in college. I get that. But I think for me, like it's hard because you have such a great guy, your own age, and what is it about this new guy? Is it is it the power dynamic? Like, I don't understand it. I really don't.
0: And we don't, and from what I remember, we don't get too much in terms of the power dynamic between Asher and Paris later on. So it's kind of a question mark. It's I mean, like, it's left up, it's mostly left up to the imagination, I think.
1: But I don't think it's, it's, it's wrong to leave it up to the imagination because we can all kind of understand... Like, I'm sorry, (laughs) a romance between a professor, especially a male professor, an older male professor, and a younger female college student, that's not new, right? (laughs) We all know how this story ends.
0: Yeah.
1: And we all know that usually it's a pattern. Yes. For male professors, right? Mm Mm-hmm. So, like, I, uh, so as much as I don't think, like, listen, I don't think he's taking advantage of Paris. I think Paris knows exactly what she's doing and what she wants. But at the same time, I don't think it's fair to say that he's not taking advantage. He is still a college freshman who's impressionable.
0: Exactly. Like, that's... All I was going to say to that was, you know, just hashtag times up. Like, I don't know. It's just such a gross scenario. I'm like, it's... Like, that's what is difficult for me about storylines like this. And this, obviously, was light years ahead of, like, stories like My Dark Vanessa or any books like that, you know? But it's just, like...
1: No,
0: I'm not saying this is a my dark Vanessa. Like that's. No, crazy. I'm not. And it wasn't. I don't think it's that either. It's just that it's. It's hard to digest it when you look at it through that lens because you think of it as yes, Paris knows what she wants. She's not being taken advantage of, but it's also like she's 19 and he's 60. Like that's. That's not okay on a lot of levels, even if it is consensual and she's in in control. You know, it's it's there's a lot of different dynamics that aren't really explored on the WB and Gilmore Girls, you know, like <laughs>
1: I think, I think like you said it's light years ahead of its time. Mhm. But I think because it was so ahead of its time, there's so many things that they couldn't explore with it and couldn't go further with. Do you know what I mean?
0: Exactly. I think that's I think that's why maybe it was a lot of it was left up to the imagination.
1: Yeah. All I know is that like if I, I'm I'm I remember even back then being aware that this wasn't going to end well and feeling icky about it even back then.
0: <laughs> icky. Icky.
1: <laughs> and even now I'm like, oh, I hate this part.
0: Yeah. Cause it's just, there's a lot, like I said, there's a lot of different, not only just the power dynamic between the man and the like older man and younger woman, it's just like there's a bunch of other dynamics to consider too, like just cuz she's in like she thinks she's in control like is she in control like it's That's the
1: thing. a lot of a lot of younger women who enter relationships with like a power dynamic oftentimes say like no this is completely consensual i am completely in control like i don't do anything i don't want to do but the problem with that is like i'm not saying all relationships with an age gap but one where there's a clear authority figure
0: mm-hmm
1: and an authority figure who has, like, control of your grades <laughs> kind of thing. Yeah. It's just, like, you may think that everything's fine, but it's not fine, honey.
0: Yeah. Like,
1: like no, Mary, no. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know what else to say.
0: Um, I think we can leave that at that. <laughs> well,
1: I think, uh, for, like, not for Asher or anything, but I do think the way that Paris broke up with Jamie was heartless. Yeah, And there are times, and I've said it before, and I'll probably say it again as the season goes, as the series goes on. There are times where I really admire Paris's bluntness. Bluntness. I don't know if I said that right.
0: <laughs> um, <laughs> oh my God, what was that sound?
1: <laughs> I'm so hot. Okay. Um, there are times where I really, really admire Paris saying what she feels, just, you know, saying what she means. Being blunt, telling it like it is. This is not... This is one of those times where, like, you know, let him down easy. Yeah. Which is just... I know it's not in Paris' wheelhouse. But my God, you broke up with him like that on his birthday?
0: Considering, like, Jamie did give a lot to her in terms of not just like you know and he he gave a lot in terms of just love and caring and friendship like he deserved better than that
1: he really did and i was really disappointed i remember the first time watching it just with like the character itself i'm like he was a good addition to the show i found he balanced her crazy out
0: yeah and i wish we'd like i don't know maybe in, like in a perfect world he like jamie went to yale and then we could have seen this relationship between them play out more but I guess the writers were like nope let's do this professor student thing
1: I still I I still to this day don't understand the logic of taking it in that direction I don't know if they wanted to make Paris um edgy edgier I don't know like have more experiences than than Rory like I don't know what it was but I still don't understand the logic behind it and then I just want to talk about briefly the scene where kind of Rory tells her off Yeah. And the fallout from that is that when Rory's packing a bag to go back to Stars Hollow and Paris is like, Oh, well you're trying to get away from me kind of thing. I think Paris is definitely feeling bad about the whole situation.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: And she like says as much. And she's like, I know I shouldn't, I know I was cruel to Jamie and blah, blah, blah. I know I'm not wired for this stuff. I'm not, I'm um, whatever you're a human being. It doesn't take a lot to say that you should have been tactful. But, um, I think what bothers her the most in this whole scenario is that Rory's disappointed in her.
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: Didn't you get that impression when like Rory's packing her bag, Paris? Like, oh, you're trying to get away from me. Like, her friend seeing her like that and thinking bad of her is what really made her feel worse, in
0: my opinion. Yeah, I think it was like she was just she was looking for. This sense of approval from Rory that Rory was not going to give her, and not because Rory I mean Rory does just does does disapprove of the age difference, but it's like Rory's just pissed with uh, with Paris making her lie, and then um m- like br- like making her complicit in all this lying with Jamie and treating him that way. And when when Rory knows he didn't deserve that, I think yeah. I think she's just she's just disappointed in Paris's actions, not in her choices. I think she's just like. At this point, she want like she she knows that Paris should have acted differently. And then when Roy asks, like, "Oh, are you?" or like, not even she asks, but it's like Paris says, "I'm happy." Like, Rory's fine with that. Like, Roy isn't isn't asked like Roy isn't I'm like, like Roy isn't questioning her happiness. She's just like, "Stop making me lie and stop treating good people like shit." Yeah. And
1: honestly, I think Rory, I think Paris is more upset with the fact that Rory is disappointed in her <laughs> and Jamie.
0: Yeah, especially she's like, actually no, I'm going back home for my my town's fire. Uh, what is it? Fire Firelight Festival, mm-hmm. which I have, which I haven't missed since I was one. So getting away from you is just a sprinkle on okay. top.
1: Yeah. <laughs> and I mean, look, I think one last thing I'll say about the whole power dynamic thing, and then we can move on to other things, is that you can already see that Paris is way more invested in this relationship with Asher than. Um, You know, like, just this fling that we maybe originally thought it was. Mm -hmm. Because according to Paris, he's teaching a summer semester in Oxford, and he hinted that maybe she should go with him.
0: Yeah. And
1: I'm already like, oh, no. (laughs) You're reading so much into this of a man who's probably just, like, getting it up with a (laughs) (laughs) 19-year-old. Yeah. I'm so...
0: And I'm thinking, I'm thinking ahead to, like, future episodes where Asher's kids just hate her.
1: Well, yeah! <laughs> oh, my
0: God.
1: Also, I'm thinking ahead to, like, jumping way ahead now, that she starts dressing like a middle-aged fucking widow.
0: She does.
1: Oh, anyways, we'll get to that. But I'm just, like, it's, it, the whole thing is just icky to me because you know how this ends in real life. You want more from it than the professor is willing to give you, obviously. He has grown-ass kids. He's 60 years old. He's, like, quote-unquote famous in the literary world. And you're like, oh, my God, he's asking me my summer plans because he obviously wants to take me to Oxford with him. No! <laughs> oh, sorry. for somebody so smart, you're so
0: dumb. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> Anyways,
1: I just, I'm, like, annoyed.
0: Please excuse Eleni's more passionate reactions uh, than usual. Her apartment is not air conditioned and it's been uh, quite a week and you're trying to get it air conditioned.
1: Yeah. And it's currently 40 degrees, so fuck
0: off. <laughs> degrees um, Celsius, by the way, in case you're wondering, 40 degrees Fahrenheit would be a little cold. Yeah, that's a little cold.
1: 40 degrees Celsius, um, which is what the rest of the world uses, America.
0: Yes. <laughs> get
1: on our level. Okay.
0: Other countries exist. Bt. America.
1: <laughs> Okay. Before we jump into the whole Liz, Jess, your husband storyline, um, I do want to talk about Lorelai and Jason.
0: Honestly, out of all the stuff that happened this episode, they just like fell off the map for me.
1: Okay, but yes, okay, I agree. It's not a, it's not a giant uh, storyline. Um, but I just, I just want to touch on the fact that um, I don't understand these people who are like, I hate Jason.
0: We touched on that uh, a few weeks ago, either last episode yeah. or the one before.
1: But, um, you know, I think it's a little different when Jason comes to Stars Hollow and, like, he's in her world. And I just think the, ep- the banter in this episode between the two of them, I'm like, how could you hate Jason? I know. i like, I want to find you people and, like, snap your necks.
0: <laughs> I think I don't even... I think we, we tried to figure it out a while ago. It's just, like... I don't know. Maybe it's just, like, Luke and Lorelai fans are not down for the, the distraction with Jason. But it's, like, they're up until, you know, the whole lawsuit between him and Richard, it's, like, there's really good aspects of, a, of the relationship that are taken for granted, I find.
1: Like, because the reason I bring it up is because I personally think that this is the healthiest relationship that Lorelai has ever had in the show.
0: Yes, I would agree, especially considering all of the communication problems that plague the later seasons.
1: Yeah, and listen, I'm not saying it's perfect by any means. Like she's in this episode, we see her struggling to tell her parents, right? And she doesn't end up telling Emily. Um, I think that's more of a her issue than anything else. But I don't understand how you can. I no, I understand being a Luke and Lorelai stan. 100% because I also think that they're endgame. But you can't look at this relationship up until the point exactly where he's suing her father. You can't, which, by the way, not even his fault. But anyways, moving on. <laughs> you can't look at this relationship and be like, oh, my God, awful. <laughs> no, it's <laughs> no. the no. relationship she's ever had.
0: Yeah, and I think, I, guess, I think like I said, the, the healthy aspects of the relationship just get um glossed over m- m- much more easy much more easily because everyone's just like oh my god like in lorelei it's happening
1: yeah put it this way she was willing to marry max Ugh. and max had like that relationship was shittier than the one she has with jason you know what i mean
0: and people don't people don't hate max as much as they hate jason
1: exactly and i don't get it i really really don't get it
0: yeah, so please, um, if you are not a huge Jason fan and would like to give voice to some of the questions that we're asking, uh, please let us know. Please get in touch.
1: But don't be annoying about it.
0: <laughs> yeah, don't be a dick. Okay. Um,
1: <laughs> I also think that scene where Luke sees Jason and Lorelai in the car together and gets really, like, not upset, but bothered by it, I think that's really telling.
0: Yes. Because...
1: Listen, as if we already didn't know that this marriage with Nicole is a shit show. Like, you're clearly not in love with Nicole when you're sitting there, like, staring longingly at the love of your life.
0: Yeah, also, if I haven't already mentioned, which I have, haha. <laughs> um, Nicole is where? Absent. We don't see her ever. Like, once. Blue moon.
1: By the way, if you want to make a marriage work, maybe you guys should live together.
0: Maybe you should. Maybe you should like see her once.
1: Maybe yeah. Maybe you should be like, oh, I'm not spending the night there. I'm going to live with my wife. But anyways, whatever. Fuck.
0: Uh...
1: Nicole. Fuck Nicole. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay. And now the highlight of the episode. Yes. Um, the mystery woman that Luke was talking to in the mm-hmm. beginning of the episode. Mm-hmm. Boom. That's his sister.
0: Yeah, I, I actually thought you were going to say the highlight was the return of my husband, but I think that's actually more hey, of the... Same hi-
1: storyline, you ding-dong.
0: I know, same storyline, but actually his return is more of a highlight of next week's episode. So buckle up for that.
1: Okay, you're just going really, um, <laughs> to... Too hot to deal with you today. <laughs> no, okay. So I have a question for you. Yes. Um. So when we find out that it's Liz, it's mm-hmm. his sister... Is she what you like? The first time you watched it, is she what you thought she was gonna be?
0: Um, the first time I watched, I was like not surprised that she had this like hippie-ish swagger going on. Like not yeah. hip, maybe, like hippie-ish, but not in a cool way. Like she's no, like, like, a, like
1: a vagabond wanderer, but doesn't have her shit together.
0: Yeah, like uh, like ragamuffin was the word I was looking for. Um, in terms of
1: somebody's been watching The Real Housewives of Beverly Hills
0: actually no oh right.
1: sorry
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, it's funny i was cuz i'm right now i've moved on to another memoir by uh juliana margulies and she was she described her own mother as having a ragamuffin um vibe so that's where i got the word from just in my head um, all right no i am like the first time i watched i wasn't uh, surprised but I was like what bothered me most and I wrote it down in my notes uh, because it's worth mentioning and it bothered me the, ver- the very first time I watched it too because in seasons two and three it's like it's we're given to understand that Liz is this unstable flake right Um, and sh- not to say she's the person we meet is not an unstable flake but I don't know, I think they just romanticized her character way too much, and not to say I was expecting some, like, abusive, alcoholic mother to, walt- to waltz in, like, it's, I am I think I'm very conflicted on Liz's, on Liz's character development, because I, on the one hand, I wanted more of a realistic version of a mother who made Jess the way he, the way he is in terms of just, um, uh, screwed up, I guess, if lack of a better term, and... I don't know. I feel like everyone just gives Liz a bit too much of a free pass for this all the shit she caused in her son's life.
1: Yeah. So I, um, I agree. <laughs> <laughs> no, I just think yeah, exactly. We we the the small insights that we get in season two and three make us think that this woman is really um like really doesn't have her shit together. You know what I mean? Um, and maybe like you said, yeah, not abusive, but maybe you know like lacking in emotional intelligence and can't raise her kids right and you know um Mm -hmm. jess is the way he is for a reason right um and listen it takes a special kind of person to ship your kid off to your to your brother's house because you can't handle him you know
0: yeah, and like the, but even then, I'm feeling like even that, because we we got that insight in season two, right? It's like that Liz couldn't handle him, or like I think it's more that like Liz didn't want to, like Liz just was like, eh, I don't <laughs> want to, I don't want to put in the effort, and she's like, oh, I thought you'd be, I thought you'd be, you'd be better for him than I was, um, and Luke says, no, I tried, you gave up, like yeah. she didn't try, she just, she didn't put any, I don't, I I would believe even though we don't see it, it all happened off screen and in backstory, like I would still argue that liz didn't try liz was like oh difficult my big brother will save the day like he always does
1: yeah i um no i agree with that completely um i do think their conversations are really interesting though Mm -hmm. Um, that conversation that they have upstairs in his apartment is really telling in that um like he alludes to her screw-up past right like oh let me guess you have a new boyfriend you know oh and now you have a new job you're getting your life together so we can you can see what role kind of that luke played in her life right like her big brother her protector always there to pick up the pieces when her life was screwed up yes Um, and she's screwed up a lot um just from the snippets that we get from from luke right um and that can be really tiring on a family member like, yeah. always there to pick up your fucking screwed up pieces. That could be so fucking tiring. So, you know what? Sometimes, like, I understand why Luke is bitter.
0: Oh, yeah, for sure. I was going to say, the, uh, the the scene that's coming to mind now as you were saying that is, like, towards the end of the episode where, um, jumping ahead, <laughs> uh, Lorelai and Rory have noticed Jess in the car. And then Lorelai comes, goes into the diner to talk to Luke about it. And Luke just says how makes that whole speech about how families like spilled milk and just keep spilling and, spilling and spilling and spilling and no matter how hard you scrub they just keep screwing up and it's 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 so exhausting trying to help people who don't help themselves and I'm like just so many family members of my own come to mind and like it was actually like in in that instance Luke reminded me so much of my own dad because I feel like my dad has been that person in his own family where it's like he's the only stable one and everyone comes to him for help even even though they don't ever help themselves So, I think that was a very apt analogy of it's like it's just families like spilled milk that never gets cleaned, like could never get cleaned up because it just keeps spilling, spilling, and spilling.
1: Yeah, and Luke is the type of person that is gonna, as much as he's annoyed by his family and as much as he's like, I'm done with them, fuck that, like this, I've I've done all I can do. He's never gonna stop trying, right? That's his personality.
0: Yeah, I I think that's like the endearing family. Quality that the show is always going for. So I think it's it's like it's also telling that the episode is called a family matter because it's like Mm -hmm. we we know the theme of Gilmore Girls is family, but it's like there's only rare moments where we really see what they mean by family. I think this is one of them. Yeah,
1: no, for sure. Um, uh, mm, okay. Uh, (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) Uh, Liz is back in town for her high school reunion. Yes. And um. You know, she's like, I've met a new guy, and, like, he's the one, and I have a new job, and I'm doing really great, and blah, blah, blah. And you could tell Luke's just not buying it. Mm-hmm.
0: Um,
1: which I get it, if you've been burned so many times. Like, if, they've been, if your family members keep telling you the same speech over and over again, you're like, fuck this shit, right? Yeah. Um, and then we also find out that, because Luke asks her, have you spoken to Jess? And she says, yeah, he sent me a letter. By the way, it's so fitting for Jess to send a letter instead of just picking up the fucking phone. (laughs) Um, Yeah, he sent me a letter. He's with his father in California. So for all we know that Jess is still in California, right?
0: Yes. May I actually, since you said that, it's still like Jess to write a letter and not not use the phone. And since later in the episode, um, Luke... Uh, Luke refers to him as like ha, on a, like a Jack Kerouac type of journey. Yeah.
1: Um,
0: may I quote a Jack Kerouac uh, writing that I have taped on my wall because I like the quote. It's, <laughs> it's, um, Don't use the phone. People are never ready to answer it. Use poetry.
1: Okay. What the fuck would Jack Kerouac know?
0: I'm. I don't. Pff, I'm not saying I like Jack Kerouac. I'm saying I like that quote.
1: No, no, I know, but I'm saying like use poetry. You're not a fucking poet, Jack.
0: He wasn't. It's funny. <laughs>
1: it. Have you ever read a Jack Kerouac novel?
0: I read On the Road. I think we talked about this when I read On the Road a few years ago, and you were like, yeah, it's fucked.
1: Fuck <laughs> no, Jack Jack Kerouac. Anyways, whatever. Uh, <laughs> the quote is nice, though. I do agree.
0: So I think that's why just of all people, would write a letter instead of using the phone, because it's like, you know, words are better in writing sometimes.
1: Well, I also like that tactic, can I just say.
0: Yeah, like, I'm, I'm much better with, my, I can say more with my fingers than I can say with my mouth.
1: Well, yeah, but I think the, the, the beauty of writing a letter, maybe, is that, you know, sometimes when you're in the heat of the moment. Okay, I'm gonna tell you guys something. <laughs> I <laughs> argue with my family a lot.
0: You don't say.
1: A lot. Um, And sometimes when you're in the heat of the moment... Things come out in a way that maybe you didn't mean for them to come out or you say things that, you know, maybe you don't remember saying, I don't know, like shit happens when you're talking and when you're arguing and when things are getting heated. Right. Mm-hmm. And there have been many, many times in my life where my mother and I have a disagreement and I'm just using my mom as an example, but like we'll have a disagreement and I can't really get through to her. Yeah. Um, I don't know if it's because like I get very agitated or like we're both agitated and like we're doing more talking than listening really.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, so there have been many, many times in my life. And I do have to say this. I, I used to work a lot of night shift and whenever my mother and I would get into an argument, I would go on night shift and like write her these letters <laughs> <laughs> because on night shift, like unless somebody's actually giving birth, there's really nothing to do. So like there would be long stretches of my time where, you know, there was really nothing. I, there's only so much filing I can do. So I would sit there and, like, try and verbalize or try and get on paper what I really meant with my mother. And I think writing a letter or just getting something down on paper, really, um, it helps you really stop to think and really process what you're feeling, too. Mm-hmm. Because anyone can just blurt out anything, right? Yeah like it's so easy for me to go like oh fuck you. <laughs> yeah. You know, like my brother or whatever, you know what I mean? But the anger behind the fuck you is what you really need to be verbalizing. Yes. Um so I like the fact I like the fact I like in my head thinking of just like sitting down and actually writing to his mother. And be like listen, we're never gonna under, we're never gonna know the contents of that letter. Maybe it was just like mom with dad bye. You know? <laughs> but in my head, in my Valentina fantasy, I enjoy thinking about Jess like actually sitting down in California and being like, I came to see my dad, um, I'm okay, like I'm in California, maybe saying like I left Luke, I feel bad. Like, you know, like I don't know. Mm-hmm. Jeff would be good at verbalizing that, right? Yeah. Um, and maybe it was, um, and maybe, I don't know, maybe along the years he said things that he needed to say of, like, you were a shitty mother. Um, and I agree with you. I think the way they went about Liz's character and Liz's storyline, um, you know, in season three when Jess leaves and is kind of like a lost puppy, we said it during that episode, we're so fucking mad at Liz. We're mad at this woman we've never even met before, you know? Mm -hmm. because she's done clearly so much damage. She doesn't want him to come home for Christmas. She ships him off to her brother's house. She doesn't give a fuck that he's flunking school. Like, you know what? All these things. And she's made him feel, like, really unloved. Yeah. And I'm like, fuck you, Liz. And, like, this is the first time I'm meeting her. So, like, I also have a problem with, like, now introducing this really bubbly lady who, like, hid pot in her dad's thing, you know? Mm -hmm. And, like, is talking to her brother, about finding a new guy who could be the one when he's clearly still trying to process what happened in the like before summer ended, with having to kick his nephew out, um, and feeling like a failure as a father figure. You know?
0: Yeah, I'm thinking back to the scene at the end of season three in the backdoor pilot for the failed Jess spinoff, where he's yelling at his, weren't yelling, he's like having it out with his dad about. Um, when he says, you know, you, I have nothing to offer you nothing. He's like, you have nothing? I have nothing! Just like Whitney Houston. Um, and he says, you know, bunch, a bunch of things he says. And then he says, my mom's a whack job! Yeah. It's just like, the person we meet, I don't think meets all of the stuff that Jess alludes to in seasons two and three. I'm like, that's why I'm disappointed. It's, I didn't even think of it, the layers of, of the things you just said of how she didn't want this for him, she didn't want that. Like, she just kind of cut him off emotionally and like oh okay great now we meet some bubbly effervescent rag what did I say Ra- <laughs> um <laughs> ragamuffin <laughs> rag-a- who shows up and is all oh look my pot's still here Ooh, the, the garbage man sold to me like yeah. shut up you you ruined your son's life
1: yeah so here's the thing on the one hand I'm like oh okay a new character she seems kind of bubbly and then all those feelings come rushing back to me especially when she says like when when Luke is, like, re- like having to remind her, hello, you have a son. Do you know where he is?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: He's fine. He's with his father in California. And yeah. then, yeah, and then I was like, you know what, bubbly lady? Fuck you. <laughs>
0: she, you, sells love, buff, she, you? she sells bubbles.
1: <laughs> yeah, well, no, she sells jewelry at a Renaissance fair. But anyway.
0: And you know what? Also, argue, you know what? Also, angers me about Liz. This is jumping ahead. What's what else is new? Um, it's just like in seasons five and five, six and seven, I guess. But I'm mostly You're thinking just, way ahead. <laughs> I'm like I'm thinking mostly in season five because we don't see Jess in season five at all. And it's like Liz becomes like they Liz Liz becomes like a more of a, of a recurring character in season five. And it's just like um, they spend all of this and looking back now. I'm like they spend all this time. Developing her character development after after the seasons where we got to meet Jess, it's like I would have liked a bit more of this. I would have, would have liked a bit more Bax, maybe not Baxter, but but I would have liked a bit more of them together, and a bit more of that family dynamic and that drama played out on screen. But I don't think it would have been the quirky Stars Hollow image that that the the Wv was going for. So no,
1: I know. Um, I think they. I think the WB does a really good job of sprinkling in trauma, yes. <laughs> and letting you imagine that trauma, Bring <laughs> so on from it real quick.
0: <laughs> Honestly, you know what? I think not even just like the WB teen shows did that. I feel like that's a a really good trait that a lot of teen dramas from like nineties, two thousands ish, kind of mastered. And mm-hmm. the only th- the only one that comes to mind that really like showed you the trauma right right in front of you on the screen was Party of Five. And, like, Party of Five, in retrospect, was just, like, such a traumatic show that, I'm like, I shouldn't have ever watched it. Like, I could never rewatch it. It's just, like, sadness. Sadness every, every episode. Something bad happens every day. Like, you know what? Teens have enough trauma. Just move on. <laughs>
1: oh, well then. Yeah, I don't know. It's just, um... Yeah, I have a hard time with... <laughs> I have a hard time with season four Liz in general. Yeah. Um, and there's going to be very, like, more instances of us. Um, there's going to be more opportunity for us in the coming episodes to analyze her character. But um, I definitely think with this episode, they're giving us mixed messages.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, and it's hard, especially, like, if you're just a casual viewer, it's like, oh, another bubbly character. She fits right into Star's hollow. But then, like, if you do do the analysis that we do,
0: uh we do do that we do do so well
1: do, do 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 um i think that it's easy to kind of hate her because you know that underneath that um quirkiness is a person who maybe shouldn't have been a mother in the first place
0: yeah, and you know what? As you're saying that, I'm just thinking. I'm just thinking of something else in regards to, to Liz's character. Liz's character that it's just it's annoying because we get to. And this, I think this is what bothers me most about her character is that we get to meet and see her after all of this shit has already happened. Like this shit is in the past. We didn't get to see that, you know. So like like you said, the, the WB likes to sprinkle in some trauma and let us use our imaginations to fill in the blanks. Yeah. And what I think is most irritating about Liz's character is that is that like she is this like she's portrayed as this lovable dits in seasons 4 and 5 and it's annoying because we get this like she fits like you said she fits in with like the stars hollow quirk and charm but like we didn't get to see, we didn't get to see the character um like when Jess was younger like a, like like when he was a baby, or when he was, uh, you know, single digits. Like we didn't, we didn't get to see those years, or how she, or how much of a mess she was then. So it's like, it's difficult to, I mean, it's not difficult to fill in the blanks, but it's like it's difficult to. No, but I to... think the
1: main problem is accountability.
0: Exactly. That's that. Yeah. That's what I was. That's what I was trying to say. Thank you for giving like, me the word.
1: <laughs> I knew where you were going, so I was like, let me get the word before we add another forty-seven minutes to this podcast. <laughs> um, I think the, yeah, I think the problem is just like we get to see her. When she's kind of redeemed herself, but the problem is that we don't get the extent of the anger towards her that we get is really in this episode, right?
0: Yeah, I'm also thinking of the episode. um, It's not not too far away, so we'll get there soon. Where um, it's where Liz is trying to make a make dinner in in Luke's apartment, and Jess is there, and he's like, oh my, she's like, oh my guys, blah blah blah, and like just
1: yeah, but I mean like. Yeah, we don't get a big moment of, like, here's the shit you did to me. Do you understand that it's not okay? We get a, like, okay, well, she's trying now, so you have to let it go, right?
0: Yeah, and I think that's...
1: that's the problem that I have with it, because in real life, it's not that easy to let it go.
0: (laughs) That's that's exactly what I was going to say. I was like, I think that resonates... With at least the at least with the two of us, and I'm sure with legions of others, uh, like other viewers, because like it's such it's such a realistic trope where, uh, you know, we get to meet the character now, but we don't get to see the years of hurt and pain they caused beforehand. But we're, we're we're just supposed to put that on the past because they're trying now. And it's like what, but we're we're the bad like what we're the bad people for not wanting to forgive and forget. It's like no, I'm sorry. Um, all the pain and hurt you cause is a little too much for me to just sweep it under the rug. Like, uh, it's great that you're trying, but too little too late. Like, I've definitely had situations like that in real life, so I think that's very true to life in some ways.
1: Yeah, and I think um, the last thing I'll say about Liz before we actually move on to Jess is that...
0: <laughs> really? Move on? Haven't we already been here?
1: <laughs> no, because I know you really want to talk about Jess! Um, I think um, it's really... I never want people to think that they're like weak for moving on from trauma, even when somebody hasn't taken accountability.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So like people that are able to move on without an apology, without an acknowledgement of their feelings, that's actually really, really hard to do.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, and like kudos to you for being able to do that. There have definitely been instances in my life where I felt like, I deserved an apology for something or I deserved at least, like, a modicum of acknowledgement of you hurt my feelings or what you said wasn't right. And we're ethnic, so that's not going to happen. <laughs> and I've been left with the consequences of either either move on or basically you're fucked because you're not getting that. Yeah. You're not getting what you need, basically, you know?
0: No, and it's very so, hard. Like, it's not, it's, you know, <laughs> at least in my case, requires <laughs> therapy to move on, so... <laughs>
1: I was about to say, it's not an easy thing when people just say, just let it go. That's not an easy thing to do in a lot of cases. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think when you're dealing with trauma, like Jess has dealt with again, that word that I know a lot of people associate with like terrible things. Um, but you know, emotional and emotional abuse and neglect is also trauma. Um, especially when you're growing up from a parent, uh, in Jess's case. Um, I think the fact that Jess is able, and again, we're jumping ahead, but I think the fact that Luke, time and time again, is able to forgive his sister, pick up the pieces, and still love her, and the fact that Jess, at the end of season four, is actually in a good place with his mother, despite the fact that Liz has not said anything like, hey, I know I was a shitty mom, I'm sorry, those are two really strong men, (laughs)
0: Yeah, I was gonna say, like, I think, I think Jess knows that he's never gonna get that from his mom. And like, it's not a conversation he probably even he wants to have. So it's, I think it's, I think it's also easier for men, straight men, at least to sweep it under the rug. So
1: yeah, but I mean, I think, uh, yeah, I think so. But I think a lot of the times, if it's something as traumatic as that, you you definitely have to be really really strong to say like you know what to acknowledge the fact that you're not going to get an apology and be like i just have to be okay with that for my own mental health yeah forgive the person and be in a better place with the person even though you know that person doesn't deserve it
0: yeah i think we're like i'm sure both of our experiences are different but i think in my case it's like it's been easier for me to get to a place of like move to like forgive and move on without an apology is like after that person is no longer in my life so it's like easier to do so it's like easier to do that when they're absent and I don't have to like actually face them like I myself can make peace with my feelings but then oh my god they show up and it's like okay fuck you but fuck you um so like I don't personally I've never yet had an experience like where I've had to like like had such traumatic such, such a traumatic experience with like a family member shall we say and then I've had to still see that person every, like every so often. Like I haven't really had that any any family members who I've you know had falling outs with. It's like they're out of like they're out of my life, and like I'm left with the feeling of oh I'm still angry. I still carry around this this hurt and this pain. It's like I have to make my own peace with letting go of that, but they're already out of my life. So it's like I'm not going to be able to make peace with them in person. You know, it's like I have to just kind of you have, you have to like fill in the blanks again for yourself, yeah. and that's
1: you, you basically have to be okay with you at that point.
0: Yeah, and like, uh, can speak from personal experience, that takes a long time. And it's very, the, the work, the, <laughs> the work in therapy, at least in my case, takes a long time. And it's uh, not easy. It's very emotionally draining. It's very it's
1: expensive.
0: Expensive. It's exhausting. It's a lot of, just a lot of things. Um, And yeah, so <laughs> there's that.
1: <laughs> so, just time?
0: So brief. We'll have more time for him next week.
1: will yeah, touch on it a little bit. Jess comes back. Yes. Um. Jess comes back because I guess Liz tells him that Luke stole his car.
0: Right. Because he, like, I was going to say, he never, like, he, like, Liz, Liz, Luke stole the car and then Jess kind of just never really knew what happened to it. Right. Like, yeah. Uh, so I'm um, I'm thinking, like, maybe Jess had an idea, maybe he had an idea that Luke hid the car in an attempt to get him on the straight and narrow. <laughs> yeah,
1: I don't know. Um, the whole thing kind of bugged me because I was like, he's supposedly still in California with his father, but then a day later shows up. Like, something about it is just, like, he's definitely not in California anymore. And the way he comes back also, you can tell right away that he's not in a good place.
0: Yeah. Season like honestly when you said before, like season four Jess is in a good place with his like with his mom, maybe, but like not in life.
1: (laughs) Well no, personally, like he's he's battling some demons inside of him. Yeah. Um, I don't think like just from the brief glimpse that we get now, he's very angry. Mm hmm. Um, whether it's at Luke or his mom or the situation, because you know, we don't know what happened in California, right?
0: I was gonna say, what do you think happened, or what do you think went wrong between Jess and his dad? Like, you think he, like you said, he's fight definitely fighting demons at this point in his life. Like, do you think that became too much in California, and maybe his dad also told him to get lost, or maybe some? Uh-huh. I'm I'm thinking more like I'm thinking more like Jess, Jess's demons became too much, and he he split like he like he does. Yeah.
1: So I don't think I don't think there was ever a time, um, like a specific time where his dad was like, you gotta go. Um, I think what ended up happening was probably he went to California. They had that whole talk where he's like, "I have nothing, whatever." His father ended up saying, "Yeah, you can stay," but his father's not a father, right? We we know that.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and I think eventually maybe it got too much for Jess himself. Yeah. Kind of share a space with a father you've never really known, and his girlfriend and her daughter, like this new family kind of thing. Yeah. And, like, kind of feeling like a stranger in a new state where you really have no connection. hmm And, yeah, I think it became too much for him to kind of be like, what the fuck? He was probably like, what the fuck am I doing here? Like, this yeah. man doesn't know me, and he has no, like, I, I definitely see Jimmy, his father, as somebody who's like, I don't want to get to know this kid. I split for a reason, you know? And it was more Gosh. like. Dude, we're buddies, but like and as much as I don't think Jess would have admitted that maybe he was looking for a father figure, maybe you know, there has to be a reason why you went to California.
0: Yeah, I think I think like everything else on Gilmore Girls, like communication problems would have just plagued the entire the entire thing.
1: Absolutely. <laughs> Especially just leaving the way he did. We already knew he was shitty at communication. Yeah. Um, I think what probably happened is maybe he was in California all this time, but I think what probably happened is that Liz either called him or let him know that, like, hey, I'm in Stars Hollow. And I don't even think she explicitly told him about the car. No. I think it was probably, like, Liz being Liz and it kind of slipped out kind of thing. Yeah. And I think maybe that was the excuse he needed to get the fuck out of California. Probably. Um. And And by the way, I think he did it, like, very... The same way he did it in Stars Hollow. He probably packed a bag and didn't even say bye. And was like, fuck this, I'm leaving.
0: Yeah, I could see that happening.
1: Yeah, and I can... And you can see it when he comes back. He's angry. He's so much more angry than he was when he left. He probably is resentful of the fact that he has to come back to this fucking town that always hated him. And that his uncle essentially kicked him out of. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. You know... Um he probably has some anxiety about seeing Rory maybe? Some. <laughs> well, especially when Luke is like you stay away from her and he's like stay away from who? Shut up Jess.
0: Yeah, I think I mean we'll leave it we'll leave that for next week actually. We'll just yeah. we'll leave that.
1: <laughs> already the 5 minutes that we see him, I'm already like oh no 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 something went terribly wrong in your life.
0: Yeah, and that like just I
1: don't, let me put it this way. I don't like this, Jess.
0: no, I don't like I want I want hug him more than ever. Just
1: yeah, like, he's definitely going through some stuff, and I don't like it.
0: no, like going through some stuff and like nobody has ever been in a place or, or a position to help him the way the way he needs. and.
1: And I think the last thing I'll say about this, I think being back in Stars Hollow, where you know there were such high expectations for him. Mm-hmm. And where he also probably felt like maybe he can get his life together. He had a good girlfriend. Luke was in his corner kind of thing. Um, I think just being back there is giving him so much to think about. Yeah. And it's too much for him.
0: I think probably that's what sets off. I mean, we... um. Okay. I'm going to probably leave that for next week, too. But I think... I'll just say, the events that take place now and in next week's episode, I think maybe unleash another do- another another door open full of demons yeah. that kind of make make him even worse and it's just like by the by the end of the season i think everything is just bad you know
1: <laughs> it's, it's let me just say this season 4 not a good season for jess mariano
0: no unfortunately
1: no. <laughs> um no as much as whatever you know we say it all the time We're rooting for Jess and we understand the shit he's been through that's made him the way he is. Not a good season for Jess.
0: (laughs) Not a good season for Dean either, but for other reasons.
1: (laughs) (sighs) Dean, why you bring him up? (laughs) We were having such a lovely conversation.
0: (laughs) Shall I uh, embrace my inner Brittany on X Factor? No, 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 Um, no, (laughs) no.
1: All right. So I think we can end it there.
0: Can I share my favorite quote from this week's episode?
1: Absolutely.
0: This is not May-December. This is May-Ming Dynasty.
1: That was so funny. (laughs) So for those of you who don't know, a May-December romance is what we say, well, what we say, Um, what people say when um, there's a big age gap
0: Mm -hmm.
1: between two partners. Yes. So Rory says this in reference to Paris and Asher's romance. Ugh, romance. Ugh. (laughs) I don't even want to say it. But so May December is referring to the gap between the age gap between them. And she says, it's not May December, it's May Ming Dynasty. Uh, also, I wanted to say um, C-SPAN makes another appearance in this episode, and I couldn't stop laughing because I was thinking of you saying California expansion.
0: I was going to say C-SPAN? You mean California Spansion? <laughs> you
1: fucking idiot.
0: <laughs> what does it stand for again? I don't, I still don't remember. <laughs>
1: fucking cares, but we know it's not California Spansion.
0: <laughs> oh. <laughs> and one other thing, never ever say hocho.
1: Oh my god, or Froyo.
0: I don't. I don't really, I'm indifferent to froyo, but never say never say hocho.
1: Yes, yeah, so I think froyo is much more mainstream than hocho.
0: <laughs> never, never say no. that.
1: No, that's not a thing, guys.
0: Have you ever heard anyone other than lorelei say hocho? No. <laughs> then it's not a thing.
1: <laughs> Where can they find us, Jeffrey?
0: um they can follow us on the socials on tweeters at gilmore podcast on instagram at gilmore girls podcast and you can email us should you feel the need gilmore podcast at gmail.com
1: and we will see you next week where we uh unravel just a little bit more
0: because that's what we do best haha <laughs>
1: thank you for listening bye